Let me guess, you signed up for every free lead magnet and binged on every marketing YouTube video and thought, what am I missing? Why isn't my business exploding like that? Well, I can tell you, you're not alone. Whether you're just getting started or have an established business, entrepreneurship can be really lonely, but it doesn't have to be. Overcoming your fear of launching or building your personal brand or figuring out how to scale, it shouldn't be holding you back. It should be empowering you. On this podcast, we're going to deep dive into the mechanics of what it takes to build your brand, make your mark, and stake your claim in the digital marketing space. I'll be chatting with people from all walks of life and stages in their careers. I will be getting inspiration from real experts who will share their actual strategies and techniques to grow loyal and raving followings and sell more stuff. This is entrepreneurship from people who are already there making it happen. My name is Jeff Mendelson. Join me and welcome to the One Big Tip Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. My name is Jeff Mendelson, and this is the One Big Tip Podcast. And today I am really pleased to have with me on the line Dr. Sabrina Starling. Dr. Starling is known as the business psychologist. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. She is the founder of Tap the Potential and is also the host of a weekly podcast titled Profit by Design. Dr. Starling has coached thousands of entrepreneurs to overcome the day-to-day struggles of business growth by getting out of their own way and developing a success mindset that propels tells them to higher and higher levels of success as well as profitability. So this is going to be a great show. Sabrina, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Jeff. I'm excited to be here. And I just I can't wait to dive in because I am passionate about helping entrepreneurs take their lives back from their business. And I know we're going to get into that because that's the one big tip you want me to share. But it's a lot of fun to share this with entrepreneurs. Can you please take a few minutes and just sort of bring us up to speed of how you got to where you are today? Like, how do you how do you become a business psychologist? Right. That title amused me a little bit, but I'm sure that there is a very serious backstory to that. There, there sure is. You know, I didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial family. I grew up in a family that was scarred by the legacy of entrepreneurship. Five-year-old me, I remember watching my dad just scarf down his food and rush out the door. And my mother explains to me, she said, you know, your dad didn't get to sit down as a kid and eat meals at the table. He was always working in the drive-in movie theaters. And my grandfather, Slim Starling, was the original drive-in movie theater man in San Angelo, Texas. And he got into the business by accident. He was trying to get more people to come to a service station and buy gas. And he had this wild idea about putting up a movie screen um, on the back of the service station. And if people bought five gallons of gas, they got a free pass to the movie. Well, that idea took off. The, the drive-in movie theater business was born. And my dad and the rest of the family worked from sunup to sundown and well past sundown in the, these drive-in movie theaters when, when my dad was a kid. And he carried that into our lives um, in my childhood. And I, you know, that was what I learned is you work hard, you work constantly, and play happens after all the work is done. And this impacted me throughout my life. I carried it with me into graduate school, into my adulthood, into my first jobs. I was always working and I was exhausted. I remember one time sitting down at the end of a semester in graduate school and I was deathly sick. I had a terrible cold and fever that I'd been fighting for for several weeks. And my body just felt so heavy and tired. And I, I had this awareness like this is the first time I felt my body in months. And it just kind of woke me up that the way I'm living living is not sustainable. Well, I continued. That didn't fix my problem. That awareness didn't fix my problem. I continued into my first job and in my career working at that level, just constantly on the go. And then 
I had an idea one day that I would start a business because I wanted to be more present with my family. And for those of you listening, you're entrepreneurs, you know, that kind of the irony there of thinking that being your own boss is going to give you better work-life balance. That certainly didn't happen for me. And I I remember this epiphany of a a moment when I was rocking my newborn baby daughter to sleep. And I was also reading The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, which is one of those entrepreneurial classics all about systematizing your business and not being the one working in the business. And I was reading that book and I was rocking my daughter and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a brand new business owner and I'm already doing everything wrong. And since then, I have been on this quest to figure out how do you grow a business that supports your life rather than the other way around. And I think most of us have this experience where we get into business and we think at some point we're going to get there. (laughs) And that there there is where we have freedom and we have money and we can do the things we want to do. But that there is always this dream that we're chasing and it never seems to happen. And so I have been working for 14, 15 years to take my life back from my business and figure out how to make it happen. And what I have discovered is there's lots of great business books and tools and systems out there to run your business. But if you try to put them all together, Jeff, they create this hodgepodge and they don't fit together well. And so what I have done is I figured out how to design a sustainably profitable business that gives you more time for what matters most and more money in your bank account than ever. And it really comes down to that one big tip that I want to share with you. And it's it's our mindset and it's about how we think about our time in the business as business owners. Oh, that's a really interesting backstory, especially the part about the about the drive-in movie theaters. You know, kudos to your dad for setting that up. You know, that's uh, you know that's very imaginative and it's like yeah, I mean, we already have the property. Why not? Right. You know, so yeah, let's do that. So, all right, cool. When you were figuring out that, hey, this is not sustainable, especially while you were, you know, you're a new mom and you're building this business, uh, you're building this business up. How did you, you know, besides the book, you, you know, reading the E-Myth, how did you actually implement that? Because the E-Myth, uh, the E-Myth book talks a little bit about, uh, you know, not being the the technician, right? It talks about how you really need to be working on the business instead of in your business, because otherwise you're just making a new job for yourself. What would you say is like the best, uh, the best nugget that you got out of that book? Well, it's exactly what you said that, you know, we need to work on the business and not in the business. And I got that, but I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know how to implement it. And as a matter of fact, I actually had the opportunity to meet Michael Gruber a few years later. And I said to him, I own a coaching company and I want to figure out how to scale it. How did you do that, Michael? And he said to me, he said, my dear... I own a coaching company and I have never coached a day in my life. And I'm not going to lie, Jeff, like that answer just really ticked me off because I was like, what the heck? You didn't tell me anything. But I realized he had actually told me everything. And so it, I would love to say that reading the E-Myth helped me figure this out, but it didn't. And it was this moment in time when I was... It, I was still a new mom. You know, my daughter's probably four months old and I was in the laundry room and I was washing this puke filled onesie and bedding and everything. And I was just about to have a nervous breakdown because I had so much I had to do that day. And I had this little bit of time to do it in. And I couldn't figure out how does anybody who runs a business make this work? Because I've got to market. I've got to write content. I have to deal with clients, you know, and, and I have to figure out how to be a bookkeeper too. And I just had this meltdown and I had this moment of clarity as I was having that meltdown 
meltdown. Okay, Sabrina, you can only get one thing done today. And if you can only get one thing done today, what is the one thing that is going to have the greatest impact here? And that kind of just pulled me out of that overwhelm and got me super clear. And, And I went off and I did that one thing that was going to have the greatest impact. And I've taken that strategy forward with me all these years in business. And Jeff, I want you to know, I I run a business that grows outside of COVID because last year was an exception, but typically 35% or more in revenue every year for the last 10, 15 years. And I run that business 25 hours a week using this strategy. And it is really around learning how to think about your time as an entrepreneur in the most valuable way. What is the most valuable use of our time? And what I have discovered is most of us spend way too much time doing tasks that are worth $10, $50 an hour, even $100 an hour in our business. And we never get around to doing the $1,000 an hour, much less the $10,000 an hour activities that really add value and help to grow the business. And so that is that is my big tip is to really think about when it comes to work supporting your life and not the other way around, thinking about your time as being worth $10,000 an hour and evaluating, are you spending your time on activities that are worth $10 an hour, $100 an hour? And if you are, that's keeping you from working on those $10,000 an hour activities. And what I see in working with so many entrepreneurs is that mentality that we have when we start up, which is to do it all ourselves because we're going to save money, (laughs) Um, actually does not serve us as the business starts to grow. If we carry that mentality into the business, that's where those businesses start to take over our lives because there's always more to be done. Your your great gift is being here, you know, doing podcast interviews and, and your great gifts are being out there doing the creative visioning that you need to do for the business. When we're editing podcast episodes and when we're typing up emails and, and doing all those things or checking email, those are the lower value activities that keep us from being in our gifts. So in order for me to have the opportunity to even be here and sit and talk to you, I've had to build a team and I've had to delegate and get things off of my play that keep me in my $10,000 an hour zone. And and every entrepreneur out there, you have that opportunity to think about your time as being worth $10,000 an hour. And are you doing the activities that are worth $10,000 an hour? Are you spending your time on the $10 an hour tasks? You know, so I want to challenge you on, on something, right? So first of all, yes, we should all value our time at 10K an hour, you know, and have these, you know, make more than lawyers type things, uh, you know, these types of activities. But that's not necessarily possible, especially when you're like, you're just getting past this start, you know, the start stage and think about it as like this hump that you have to get up over. And a lot of people really, they never quite crest that hill in order to get in order to get down to the other side, because once you crest that hill, that's where that's where you can start scaling, bring on two writers on staff instead of one or bringing on a graphic designer so you don't have to do all your art and Canva and all that, right? Before you get to that stage, right? I feel that a lot of people, myself included, fall into this burnout stage, right? Where it's like you make this to-do list and then it becomes filled with not $10,000 worth of stuff, but 10,000 tasks that need to be done. Right. And, and like you said, you know, it's the overwhelm. It's like, you know, which one do I attack first, which is the highest value activity I should be focusing on besides, you know, like answering an email or making a Canva logo or what have you. 
how do you teach people to avoid the burnout and the overwhelm so that they can make it over that crest and get over to the other side to really spin that up? That's such a good question. And, you know, it really comes down to recognizing that no matter what stage of business we're in, we have the opportunity to bring on help and support. The things that are hard for us, the things that challenge us, um, that we don't know how to do very easily are the very first places we should look for support. And so, you know, even bringing on a virtual assistant or an executive assistant for 10 hours a month can make a huge difference because that is 10 hours. It's probably 20 hours or more of your time being freed up, even though you're paying that person for 10 hours a month, but it frees up your time to start working on higher value activities for the business. So when I started out, it this was before we had great um, calendaring systems. So this is back in the day. Um, but I brought on a virtual assistant to help me with calendaring. And I brought on a virtual assistant to put my newsletter together. So I wrote the articles, but she was the one who put them on my blog. She was the one who sent the newsletter out and you know maintained the newsletter list. So it allowed me to move to the next level in the business and really work on creating the great content, which eventually turned into multiple books that I've written, like my How to Hire the Best book and my book that's coming out, The Four Week Vacation. That all started with blog posts that I was writing 13 or 14 years ago that helped me evolve my ideas and my thinking on business. And if I had spent all of my time on the more mundane things in my business, I would have not had time to write those blog posts. And so when we focus, there's two things that happen is number one, we try to do everything ourselves to save money. But the other thing that happens is typically when we start out, we undercharge for our services because we just want to get the job. We just want to bring in the money and undercharging becomes detrimental to the growth of the business over time. We need to be charging appropriately, not just to cover you know our budget at home to eat and have a roof over our head, but we also need to be thinking about when we price our services that we need to price for growth. That means we need to have, we need to be able to pay for administrative support. We need to be able to think about that next team member that we're going to bring on probably part-time. So you don't have to hire a full-time team member right away, but think about a part-time team member that you would bring on or another independent contractor, maybe somebody who's going to do your bookkeeping for you. And that needs to be included in, in your pricing. The other thing that we often don't price for is considering our own growth so that we can get out of the weeds and get the support, the coaching, the mentoring, the education that we need to be able to grow as business owners. And so I would encourage entrepreneurs who are listening to this to, if you're pricing just to get the project, you're really shooting yourself in the foot because you're putting yourself into this cycle where you're just going to be the one working and doing all the time. So always think about in your pricing, I need to be able to pay some support team so that I can do my highest level work. And if your clients push back on that and say, look, you don't want me to be the one running my schedule or you don't want me to be the one pushing these buttons. You want my brain. You're buying my brain here and you want my brain focused on higher value work for you. And in order to do that, I have a team that support this and it makes everything work better. Oh, my God. I, you know, I had this one experience when I pitched to a nonprofit uh, here in Miami a couple of years ago. And basically what happened was I gave them like a like a larger, like one of the larger per hour rates that I 
was charging at the time. And they actually came back to me and said, well, wait a second, do we really have to pay that per hour rate for the administrative stuff that you're going to do? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't use 10% of my brain to answer your emails. Like I, like I got really testy with them. Right. And to the point where like, okay, Jeff, calm down, you know, like it's okay. You know? And you know, first of all, it's like, how could you even ask a question like that? Right. You know, it just felt, felt a little disrespectful, but I managed to get a year out of them. So that's good. The other part to that though, is that a lot of people don't think about the tools that you have to pay for in order to make all this happen, right? I mean, I'm paying for Ecamm, I'm paying for Restream, I'm paying for a project management tool. You know, it's $50 here, $40 there, $100 here. You know, all of that adds up. And I think if you add up all of your tools that you're paying for, and this is just the basic stuff, like the thing, like Buffer that posts your social media for you, right? You know, you it, you know, you don't really think about this stuff until you're like, wait a second, I just dropped $1,000 a month on all this infrastructure, right? And, and that's the really big... Uh, you know, that's where your expense comes in. So when you start thinking of your per hour rate of I'm going to charge $50 an hour, right? You're really only thinking in terms of what is the next guy doing, you know, for the same rate, but, but you don't really think about, or at least you should be thinking about how you're going to actually deliver more value to these clients, right? And you as the business owner, it's real important that you try to get those costs down as, you know, as best as possible. And part of getting those costs down is, a, you know, getting someone else to do it, but B, going out and getting more business so you can keep those virtual assistants very, very busy, right? Because, you know, they're in it for the money as well, right? Yeah. And so what, here's here's the trap that we get into. And, and I'm speaking as the business psychologist here. When we get so busy and we're doing all the things in our business, we don't have time to think through, how do I lower my expenses? I remember being in that place many times where the expenses have creeped up and I'm thinking, I need to sit down and figure out why are our expenses so high and what can we cut so that we can be profitable here? And then thinking, I don't have time to sit and do that. I have to go do this and I have to go do that. And so that $10,000 an hour thinking on the business isn't happening because I'm so busy working in the business. And that's where we get stuck in the loop. So we have to free up our time so we have the mental space to sit and evaluate expenses and how we're going to add value for our clients and be different from the competition. Because we're never, in small business, we will never win and succeed when we are competing on price. That is a losing proposition every single time. We need to know how we are different in the eyes of our top clients. We need to know who our top clients are. We want to know what keeps them awake at night and what is in our sweet spot that we can do, that we have the ability to be the best in the world at, that nobody else can be as good as us at doing for our top clients and delivering a result that is meaningful and impactful to them. And when you're operating in that realm, that's $10,000 an hour thinking and strategy in the business. So I want to be really clear. This doesn't mean that when you're doing a $10,000 an hour activity, that $10,000 is showing up in your bank account the next day, but it will show up maybe in a month or two, maybe in in six months. And that $10,000 an hour thinking is cumulative, builds on itself. And that's how you build your business. And so I, I would really encourage those of you who are listening to this and you're thinking, you know, I, I'm scared to raise my prices. I know as I listen to Jeff and Dr. Sabrina, like I'm undercharging, I'm 
not thinking about my platforms and all the things that I'm paying for, much less hiring somebody to help me with things. And I know I'm undercharging and it feels really scary because I don't want to lose, you know, the next project that I'm going to bid on. So I would, I would encourage you to use the rule of two. And so you have your hourly fee. And like Jeff said, you need to get away from hourly fees, but we're, we're going to start simple. Just so just imagine for simplicity, you have your hourly fee and you're going to go up for your next pro- project that you've been on. You go up, you raise that hourly fee. And for every two yeses, every time you get two yeses to that higher hourly fee, after two yeses, you go up again. So if it scares the bejeepers out of you to raise your hourly fee by $5 an hour, that's your next stretch. And you bid the next project at $5 an hour higher than your your current hourly rate. And after you do that and you get two yeses at that rate, then you go up again and maybe you get really crazy and you go up $20 an hour, but you stretch yourself every time. So if you use the rule of two, it will get you on that on that trajectory. What a great tip. The rule of two. Like I didn't even think about that. I mean, part of what I was doing, first of all, when I was uh, when I was charging hours for dollars was I would sort of, uh, you know, like for each new proposal, I would increase it by $50 an hour, $75 an hour. And let's just see what happens. At least if you shoot high and you need to negotiate down, then you have somewhere to go. If you shoot too low, then I mean, where are you going to go? And seriously, if someone can't handle your lowest rate, then they're not your customer. Right. And one of the things I learned from uh, I learned from a friend of mine was that he does not negotiate on price, right? He just puts it out there. This is the price, right? And if you balk at the price, if you if you think like, oh, I can get this cheaper somewhere else, if I can, uh, hey, can you give me a twenty percent discount, whatever it is, you know, his retort is, am I going to give you twenty percent less of my of my strategy? Am I going to give you like le- like what do you want from me here? Exactly. You know, we don't want the clients that are price shopping because they're going to be. Ne- picking everything that we are doing for them. And so there are people who purchase based on value and there are people who purchase based on price. We want clients who purchase based on value. And then we want to be really clear on the value that we are delivering for our top clients. And I want to share another strategy that has served me tremendously over the years. And that is really understanding who the top 20% of our clients are at Tap the Potential. Those top 20% who are responsible for 80% of the revenue. So I'm imagining now that we're talking to entrepreneurs who have more business than they can handle. And you are just completely overwhelmed. And again, you're not there because you don't have the freedom. You might have a lot of money coming in the door, but you have no time freedom. And so when it comes to taking your life back from your business, one of the the really coolest things that you can do is understand how the 80-20 can work for you. So if you have your top 20% of your clients who are responsible for 80% of your revenue, and you set a modest goal to be able to provide additional value and service to them over the next year, so much so that they would want to pay you 25% more than they're currently paying you. That is plenty. That is the exact amount to replace the revenue from the business that you have from the 80% of clients who are responsible for only 20% of your revenue. So if you're following me, that means that you're at choice. You could drop 80% of your clientele at that point. And again, just focus on your top 20% of your clients, which is very easy way to start taking your life back from your business. How nice is that to have the luxury to fire a client? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, just think about I mean, I mean, when I first started thinking about that concept, I was like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just going to fire these guys. Like, I'm just not going to renew their, I'm not going to renew the agreement. And, you know, it, you get nervous. Like you start, like I'm walking away from money that I know is coming in every month. But if they're the type of client that is always hounding you, 
right? If they're the type of client that is always challenged, like kicking your work back, like no changes, changes, change that. One thing that I noticed is that some of my highest paying clients are the ones that don't talk to me too much, right? They know the value that they're getting. They like, it's gotten to the point where I don't even send reports anymore, right? You know, like weekly or monthly reports, I just don't send them. Why? Because your gauge of what it is that I'm doing for you is, well, you got those 50 leads last month, right? They got results. Yeah, you got results. So why do you need me to go waste time you know, taking screenshots of Facebook, uh, of Facebook graphs, right? It, it, you know, it just doesn't make sense. And I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't read your reports anyways. Mm-hmm. I haven't sent reports in like three years. And, you know, I, I say that in a loud voice. I say that you know, like to other people and they just sort of look at me like, really? Like, how could, how do you get away with that? And like, well, I get away with it by, you know, by the results that I give, right? They see the, they see the leads coming in. They see the blog posts that we're, that we're writing. They see the increase in their, you know, in their Facebook likes or, you know, whatever it is. They see the results. You don't need me to then go and make some kind of artificial, some kind of artificial report that, frankly, I can spin any which way I want, right? It, yeah. You know, I'm really good at that as well. So you're going against the industry standard at that, right? You are, you're doing something different than others in your industry and you're focusing on here's the results that I'm delivering for my clients. It also sounds like you have tuned in very well, Jeff, to figuring out what your clients really want when they hire you in the first place. And as long as that is happening, they are happy. And, you know, when we think about letting go of clients and firing clients, the ones that take the most time that claim, typically they're the ones who were price shopping to begin with. And we didn't have high enough prices to screen them out so that they didn't end up in our business. But we want to be able to be at choice in our business to let go of our most difficult and challenging clients and customers. Because one one of the things we see when we start looking in, in in businesses and looking at profitability is that there are some clients that we business owners are actually paying to have the opportunity to serve them, right? We're paying them because it costs us so much to service them because they're outside our sweet spot. They require something different or something special, or we just can't get anything right in their eyes for whatever reason. And those are the clients we want to be. They're the very first ones that we want to let go. And we want to really identify what goes into a top client, like what personality characteristics, what values align with ours and how we do business and really hold that as a velvet rope around the business that we're not going to let people in who have values that are incompatible with ours. And and that comes to hiring team as well as different clients that we're going to take on in our business. Because time and again, what I see when a business owner is really starting to hate their business and going to work every day and feel like it's this ball and chain around their neck, it is because there are clientele and team members in the business who are not aligned with the business owner's core values. And it, in at Tap the Potential, we call those immutable laws. So knowing what those are and really holding that high standard and saying, if you want to, this is how we play here. This is how we do things. If you want to be a part of this, come on board. But if this isn't you, okay. We don't have to work together. Amazing. That's amazing advice. Thank you so much for that. Can you please take a few minutes and tell people how they can learn more about your business, how they can reach out to you directly? And basically, how can they how can they tap in, you know, to, you know, to Sabrina, right? Tap into the potential, right? <laughs> yeah, you see, I, I worked that in there. Very nice, Jeff. Yeah. So the best way to learn more about me and, and to reach out is to get our t- chart of $10,000 an hour activities at tapthepotential.com forward slash 10K. I have a a short training that goes along with that that's free when you get that download. And what I would suggest that you do is you print that out, that chart out and 
put it somewhere where you see it often because it's a great reminder of making sure that you're working on your highest value activities. But also when you download that chart, you're going to get an invitation into our Entrepreneurs Take Your Life Back community. I hang out there. I love to interact with entrepreneurs on a regular basis and just share with you all the things that you can do to create a business that gives you your life back. Because that's at the end of the day, work supports life, not the other way around. And if COVID hasn't taught us, I mean, COVID has taught us a lot, but one of the big lessons from COVID is that our life is valuable and precious. And we need to design our life so that we get to live it and enjoy it while we're doing valuable work and making valuable contributions out there. Our work needs to support that. Amazing stuff. Sabrina, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been an excellent discussion. I love talking about this stuff and I really felt that you brought the, you know, like a lot of great energy to this. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate the opportunity. 